Hi, this is CJSF 90.1 Burnaby. Life's a struggle, and then you die. Maybe with a degree sometimes. And life may be hard, but remember, we're all going through it together. This is It's a Struggle for the Peak Speaks podcast done in collaboration with CJSF. This segment is where we talk about the day-to-day inconveniences about everyday life with a twist. And on today's episode, we're talking microaggressions. I'm your host for today, the girl who's got chopstick in her hair for Halloween, but who definitely is an Asian, Winona Young, the arts editor. On today's episode of It's a Struggle, SFU edition, we have two new guests. Would you two like to introduce yourselves? I'm that new kid stinky lunch that you wish you had. This is Kitty Chung, staff writer for The Peak. Hi, I'm the can I speak to your manager haircut that white women seem to love so much, Yula Berra, staff writer and member of the news team at The Peak. With introductions out of the way, Yule, what are you struggling with today? Whew, again, how much time we got? <laughs> well, you know, today I'm struggling with the notion of microaggressions or individuals who say, I'm not racist, but, and then proceed to say something hella racist. Uh, ironically, it's Black History Month, February. We're in the final stretch of the month, and I seem to keep encountering individuals who, for some reason or another, think that expressing themselves inappropriately through the form of microaggressions is okay and that I would take to it very well and I don't know I'm just I'm dealing with that and I'm dealing with the vexations that they serve they don't serve looks they serve vexations hey, man, <laughs> they serve racism right. <laughs> you got that <laughs> okay um yeah well at least a little bit of context for everybody listening in are you two all from like here as in here as in Vancouver I was born in Vancouver and lived in the Chinatown neighborhood um, of Vancouver until I was eight years old. My family originally comes from China. I'm from Surrey, the one (laughs) town that Vancouverites seem to love to hate. Um, I was born and raised in Surrey, born at Surrey Memorial Hospital, grew up in Surrey Central. Uh, My family is originally from Ethiopia, which is in East Africa for all those who continue to ask me. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least I'm an international student. Like I, like, I definitely bumped around. Like even though I'm Filipino, like, born in the Philippines, raised in Taiwan, grew up in Singapore, went all the way here to Vancouver. Um, surprisingly enough, my level of reaching uh, of getting microaggressions has been actually surprisingly really low. Mm. And I'm assuming that's because like I lived in places where Asian people lived. Funnily enough, the only kind of microaggressions I got, or not even we would call them that, um, were being shaded of like being called a banana. Like, wow. being, like, yellow on the outside, like, white on the inside, just like Aquafina said. Um, what have you guys had to kind of struggle with, at least, with in terms of microaggressions and people who say, I'm not racist, but... I definitely find, like, as a Chinese-Canadian, you definitely see a lot of, you know, people calling themselves bananas. Mm-hmm. And to me, I find that so problematic. And, in mm-hmm. fact, the other day at work, um, I had a coworker talk about how he was whitewashed and how most ethnically he is Asian Um, but he would talk about being whitewashed and talk about you know having all white friends and the way his tone of voice was was it was almost like this weird sense of pride in that Mm. Um, and that just like really bothered me because as a girl who's you know all about like yellow pride um, it just felt like there was this sort of shame um, Mm. hidden underneath all of that. Yeah, no, at least one thing that I thought was really, uh, really, really surprising here was when I I remember one of the first articles I wrote actually for The Peak was um, 
just because you're dating a person of color doesn't mean like you're exempt from racism. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, I remember like a good friend of a friend of a friend said that he read the article and he was like, and he's a person of color too, and he was like, well, that's interesting because I don't really see color. Huh. And I thought, and I and I thought, like, really, you don't see color? And I remember even I had like an ex boyfriend who was mixed. Um, he was like half Indonesian, half Belgian, and he was like, yeah, I don't see color either. And <laughs> I don't know. At least like I heard like your guys' reactions from that. Um, just now, what do you guys especially think of like that? Like so, uh, one of those kind of small little phrases, like, well, I don't see color. Well, it's so interesting because it's. <laughs> As someone who is very black <laughs> and has very black features. Really? I didn't notice. Yeah, right? Uh, I thought I was just dark white. Anyways, <laughs> it's so interesting how a lot of white folk, especially, I can't speak on individuals of other races, mm-hmm. but I can speak on those who, who have Eurocentric backgrounds. Particularly, you know, growing up as the only black kid in an all-white church and mm-hmm. going on retreats. And I remember being more socially conscious when I was older, as an older teenager, and speaking on things that affected myself and my community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, developing the courage to say that in these really white spaces when we talk about things that are going on in our lives. And I remember as a youth group, we would talk about these so- certain social situations. And one of the older white women, she wasn't necessarily old, but she was, you know, significantly older than the youth leaders and the youth at, at hand. And she had said, oh, I don't see color. That's interesting that you're speaking about this, Yule. And what's frustrating when, especially white people say that they don't see color, is that, first of all, that's a damn lie. Because you know <laughs> you know that I'm black. And I can mm-hmm. see the, the, the forms and the, and the abnormalities and how you treat me in comparison to my white you know, counterparts or my white friends. Mm-hmm. I know that when I walked into a meeting as a youth intern one time, I was told to take off my hood because I looked like an ache. Uh, as quote, I quote, they said I looked like a gangster. Whereas my friend who was white came in with a hoodie the same you know size as mine, and he had they they said nothing to him. And so it's interesting how these microaggressions. You know, the same one where I got last year, I got accepted into uh, a program at Oxford, and this older white woman, uh, who's actually friends with the other white woman who had said that microaggression, she had told me you oxford the one in england and i said yeah the one in england are you sure and i said no i'm pretty sure that's the one i'm talking about she says that like there are no black people and, like, yeah, like, like, like you're gonna be the first one don't yeah. you realize that? how are you you speak really well for someone of your color huh and so it's just interesting how you know they say that they don't see color mm. but that's not that that's not reflected in their actions and how and their conduct towards people of color. And another thing I would like to say when people when white folks say that they don't see color is, you know, that's an insult to me because I want you to see my color. Mm. I have a beautiful color. There's nothing wrong with seeing that I'm black. It's if you allow that, if you allow the contrast in my culture and my skin tone to yours, if you allow that contrast to manifest into, you know, malfeasance or really rude behavior that's when it becomes an issue but simply acknowledging that somebody is black or asian or latino or latina it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a racist it's when you allow those differences Mm -hmm. to correspond with how you treat us because of those differences then we have an issue Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember this one quote I really loved from the movie version of The Hate You Give mm. was when the white boyfriend was like telling uh, was telling the main character, I don't see color. <laughs> I remember like she kind of shot back with, if you don't see color, you don't see me. Yeah. Which I really relate to, especially because I'm currently like, dating a white person. And at least like one big thing that I'm really like conscious of is like, I want you to understand that like my racial identity, it's not a huge 
it's not like all of me, but it is a huge part of who I am and how I see the world. Absolutely. What's it called? What about you, Kitty? At least, maybe at least in regards to dating, at least, like, have you ever had to kind of come across like of that? Because it's because I don't know. I feel like, especially in Vancouver, I personally see a lot of white guys, Asian girls. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Could you personally speak to that, or like not at all, or? Mm. The person who I'm currently dating is mixed race, um, German and Japanese, and. I don't think I I see those microaggressions within our personal relationship, but I'm I glad. have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have noticed that when he's often questioned for his racial identity because he does look mixed, and I remember um, hearing someone say that. Well, his mom is the one who's German. His dad is the one who's Japanese. And whenever he says that, there's usually this surprised reaction, you know, and someone will be like, oh, it's usually the mom that's Asian. Mm. Mm. And like, I always tie that back to, you know, like when um, like white colonization of Asian countries and Mm. like the um, all of world history, essentially. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And like subjugation of, Mm. you know, women of color to Mm. prostitution and, you know, Hang on, hanging on to this white savior. Oh, yeah, no. Absolutely. That's really noteworthy. Wow. But, yeah, no, fetishization of, like, Asian women, I feel like it's such a huge thing overall in media. Um, the fact that anime exists, I have definitely... I have not dated any, like, white anime fanboys, but I feel like there could have been a lot of possibilities. I remember... Um, <laughs> This is like, well, this isn't a super risque story, but I remember halfway through hooking up with a guy from Tinder, um, his profile, like, to give you kind of a sense of class and what kind of a gentleman he was, his profile just consisted of, call me daddy and we'll be fine. Which, you know, valid. That's totally valid. But I remember, like, mid-hook up with this guy, he, like, just, like, he pulls away from making out and he's like, I've never been with an Asian girl before. Wow. And I'm like, oh my you di- I, I literally said to him, it's like, you didn't have to tell me that. That that wasn't necessary. You didn't have to tell me that. Oh my gosh. Look at him expanding his taste. <laughs> yeah. Exploring. How lucky of you, Winona. How lucky of you. <laughs> wow. I know. That oh, was wow. a. Mm, mm. That's super interesting. I, um, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I've never, you know, <laughs> dated a white woman. <laughs> but it's interesting how, as a black man, um, you know, there's this kind of there's this kind of vehement interest uh, in white women to date and to have you know sexual relationships with black men for the stereotypes and I I oftentimes I'm I'm I come at a crossroads where there's some black men who admittedly you know are trash when they say that oh it's dope you know we love white women and they love us so there's nothing wrong with it mm. that's cool like it's it's cool to I'm not saying you need to stick within your own race in order to find true happiness, but it's different when, especially white women, choose to date or selectively or exclusively date black men because they're black men. And when I say that is that, you know, again, as you as you as you guys have said today, it's fetishization. Mm-hmm. It's wanting to be with us because of the experience that they can go and talk to their girlfriends about. Oh, you know, he had a mandingo and all this. You know, it's it's it's. It's, it's, it seems funny, it seems very humorous, but when it comes to this form of kind of like this colonization, this this acquisition of dominance by dating somebody who's 
different or of the other that makes me experience it. that gives me an experience that's different from the norm and it and it, 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 it deems us as the other mm-hmm. when uh we're kind of depicted as these conquests for you know white folk and for specifically with what i'm speaking to white women to to date us and it's really difficult because there's not a lot of black women in this city we were just talking about this mm-hmm. earlier today when yeah. I, you know, you know and i personally exclusively date black women uh, i'm not ashamed to say that uh, and if you ever want to talk to me about why then <laughs> hit me up later but <laughs> i think it's interesting and I, the reason why i say that is because it's really interesting and in dating somebody or going on a date with somebody and having them say something or reveal themselves by saying something like i've never dated a black man or mm. i'm really excited to see what it's like to get with a black man mm. and it's just like i'm not a exotic animal that you traveled miles to see at the zoo yeah, you know no, what I mean? Yeah, no, like the whole kind of notion of it's just a preference. Uh-huh. Like, that is on the bingo card of I'm not racist, but um, at least one thing kind of jumping off from that. Um, yeah, no, at least like talking about it, like it's just a preference is one horrible phrase I hear a lot. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, there was this um, dating site called Swirl that came out. Wow. Um, I, I know. Really like, don't I, like it. Yeah, no, just right off the name. And actually, one of the things was that you could, like, what you could do to toggle of, like, oh, yeah, I only want to date women or men. Or, like, you could also do it by height. I'm not sure if weight was also a thing, mm-hmm. but you could also do it by, like, race. Wow. Yeah, so interesting kinds of swirls. Yeah. Um, uh. Moving away from dating, both of you I know are students. You can definitely feel free to say at least, like, what year you guys are. I'm in my final year. Uh, I major in English and I minor in criminology. Mm-hmm. I am a second year wannabe computing science student. <gasps> Lovely. And at least I'm like an aspiring communications major. At least in the term, um, not the terms, in the fields of academia and like professional workplaces. Like, what microaggressions have you guys faced personally? I just think it's for me in terms of my personal experience. I think it's particularly interesting in how many white women and men, but mostly white women and positions of authority have expressed how surprised they are at how well I speak um, and Mm. them feeling the comfortability and freedom and expressing that they're surprised at how well I speak. I, you know, and and having conversations about what types of books I read or Mm. the academic achievements I've made, they just seem really shocked and surprised. I, I don't know. And I think that a lot of, I have one friend who has said that, oh, it's probably just because you used to be a prankster. You used to be like a goofy kid when you're younger. Now that you grew up, they're so surprised at how well you're doing for yourself. I'm like, well, that's not true because I've always been on on roll in elementary school and in high school. Yeah, I've been very loud. I'm I'm very outgoing. I love to crack jokes with my friends, but that's never been indicative of any achievement I made. And so it's just interesting how a lot of people in the workplace seem to be surprised at how. I don't seem. I don't want to be pretentious, but how articulate I am and how educated I am. Yeah, no. At least what I noticed when and this is not necessarily strict to an academic setting, but whenever I've least introduced myself to other people, um, and I and I mentioned that I'm an international student, they always go, "You speak English so well," <laughs> and I'm like, Singapore has like five national languages. <laughs> I mean, I hope so, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. What about you, Kitty? Have you ever experienced anything like that? It's no hidden myth about Asians being this model minority. Mm. And so as a yellow girl getting good grades, being on honor roll throughout school, there was always this assumption by fellow classmates that, oh, like, of course, you know, you you just are that way. Um, And I think a lot of that was kind of 
counterintuitive or counterproductive towards my own efforts as a student because I always thought, you know, I got the grades that I got because I work hard, I study, I put the time in. Um, being told that this is this has something to do with my ethnicity is just whack. It's whack. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It is whack. <laughs> um, but at least in regards to kind of how like kind of like how you're perceived and have you guys ever personally like corrected somebody or kind of called somebody out for doing something like that? I think for myself, uh, when I was much younger, I was very timid in terms of mm. not wanting to appear as the angry black man or the angry black boy. Mm. That was much more of an ardent fear of mine because I wanted people to like me in terms of I wanted people to like me in terms of my just being my friend or just you know liking me as a as a co-worker or liking my work ethic but as time progressed I realized that the desire to be liked or to be respectful didn't really matter to me anymore as much as standing up for myself and making it known that what they were saying or how they were acting was inappropriate I didn't even take measures to to educate them because I felt like it wasn't my place to educate them. That was that's what was Google is for, and you know they're old people, so they should get get a grip of for themselves. But yeah, standing up for myself didn't really happen until I realized my worth and that I shouldn't have to take any disrespect from an individual simply because they're too ignorant to educate themselves. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Kitty? I think I've had similar experiences. Naturally, I'm not a very confrontational person, and so when someone would say something, it was just, it always seemed easier to to be quiet and let it slide past and continue to be, you know, this submissive Asian. Um, however, you know, going with the reasoning like, oh, I, you know, I just want to be liked. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not liked for your authentic self, then that's not a genuine connection or a genuine friendship that's being made. Um, and so I think that now, especially as a university student, someone who's wanting to be more of an adult, um, standing up for myself. It's a, it's a continual struggle, but it is something that I'm doing more often and I'm more adamant about. Yeah, no, at least I definitely get the whole uh, kind of odd teetering balancing act of I want people to like me, but also I don't want to like not be true to myself. Um, because if anything, it's also a thing of picking and choosing your battles, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to stuff like this. Because at least, I don't think I told you guys this, but um, earlier in the break room, but I remember I was at a sorority event. Um, I won't say which one. <laughs> um, but I remember we were all talking about bathrooms. Y'all call them bathrooms here, right? Mm -hmm. Or restrooms. Or washrooms. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, washrooms. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, because if anything, I was talking to some girls, at least who were, really, like, from Vancouver Island. Like, they were real local. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and one of them, they were, and then one of the, because uh, if anything, I grew up in, like, an American school. Um, an American friend and I were like, oh, yeah, like, in the States, we call them bathrooms. And then one of the girls goes, oh, bathrooms? That sounds so luxurious. Like, it's a bath there? Wow. And this was kind of, like, the whole kind of tone, like, this, like, mixer was going on. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I've been quiet, quiet the whole evening. I'll chime in. And I go, oh, well, in the Philippines, uh, we call them CRs. They're called comfort rooms. That's like CR. And then two girls speak up, and I, I still haven't forgotten this. One of the girls goes, one of them, she goes, wow, that's so exotic. 
And I, I like, and I literally like take a pause and I'm like, I'm gonna let that one slide. That's expected. Eh. I, I was like, maybe she means well, you know. And then the next girl goes, and funnily enough, she was the like one who was like mixed Asian. She was also she was also Filipino. Um, but then she goes, "Wow, that sounds like a Thai massage place." And I'm like, "Okay, that's just straight up racism." Like, oh my goodness. And then I remember being there, being like, I can either rock the boat right now in front of my other sorority sisters and other sorority sisters who don't know me, um, or I can just, like, keep my head down, let it pass. And that's hard. Mm. Yeah. It's always hard because, you know, after a while, I kind of, admittedly, I kind of gained this reputation of being the individual who is a social justice warrior. Yeah. Who speaks up for... You know, those who are, quote, as these individuals would say, he speaks out for the individuals who are, quote, unquote, oppressed and who need our, his help. It's not, and, you know, I that bugged me for a while, but I would much rather any day of the week, any hour of the day, be considered a social justice warrior than an ignorant person who's yeah. just, like, rude, you know? Yeah, because at least my kind of main thing, because I remember the mixed boyfriend who was like, I don't see color. You seem like a white girl. He, he did oh. say that to me once. Oh my he did say that to me once. And he I was like, well, it's not even much about being PC because he was like, you're, you're trying to be so PC. And I'm like, I'm just not trying to be an asshole. Right? Like, that's yeah. like the main thing behind this. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I typically find that the individuals who say, oh, it's so politically correct. I don't want to be PC. Those are the individuals admittedly, who do not want to educate themselves, who want to remain complacent complacent in their in their ignorance. And so I kind of allowed that to just fall off my back, not really pay much attention, and really be vehement in my stance and say, no, that was ignorant, or no, that was racist, and that's problematic. And if they get mad about it, that it's not a me problem, that's a them problem, you know? Mm-hmm. That's something I've had to learn, and I'm, I, admittedly, I have to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. With all of this in mind, if y'all had to eliminate one microaggression from, like, everybody's mouths, what would it be? Honestly, you want it, like, my mine one would be, would be this all, because it was always happened in middle school, when being a group of, like, little girls, just the microaggression, just, like, them not telling me that I should be Mulan. Just, that's wow. just, that's just the one, that's just the one thing. Super you know, annoying. like, I don't want to be Mulan sometimes, you know? Oh. That's the one I would want to, I would want to, what are you guys? For myself, I can't think of anything in particular that I really can't stand. Actually, I lied, I can. It would be <laughs> anything that pertains to my intellect or my ability to, to my ability to quote unquote speak well. Uh, so when individuals say, oh, you speak so well. Um, yeah, I do. Because <laughs> I am an individual who majors in English and who reads a lot and who can articulately speak my mind and organize my opinions and that has nothing to do with you know how white or how non-white I am and I, I I would like to get rid of that I would I would like to get rid of any microaggressions that seems to automatically assume that white folks are more intelligent and speak better any of those what are you kitty I would say that immediate decrease in respect that occurs when someone realizes that someone else doesn't speak English completely fluently. Mm. Growing up with my mom, my mom is an immigrant, so having her speak accented English with different people, whether we're you know talking to a cashier or a customer service representative or anyone, you know, see, seeing those people interact with other parents who could speak English fluently versus the way that they regarded people who spoke like my mom was just disgusting it was very 
shameful and it and it and it made me feel ashamed too of like mm. the way my mom was because I wished that you know she could be deemed as like competent as an adult um as these people and she is um mm. but yeah just any kind of microaggression that comes mm. with you know mm. accented English yeah and at least like that's the most insidious thing about microaggressions it can go all the way from being labeled as Mulan for a Disney princess or all the way to the immigrant experience there are from what I've and I'm gonna I don't know if anyone's branded this yet but I'm gonna brand this as something I've came up with so there's two types of ignorance I call it type A ignorance and type B ignorance type A ignorance is the ignorance we've all come to know as the ignorance that the ignorance of individuals who probably should know better and should know that what they're saying or how they're how they're conducting themselves is completely problematic, but they simply don't care. They don't care to make the modifications to, the, to their behavior or to their perspectives so that they come across as individuals who respect all, cult- all cultures and races. That's type A ignorance. Type B ignorance are the individuals who aren't educated, and so they speak and they behave in really problematic manners because they literally don't know any better. Something that I've always struggled with is, you know, type A ignorant people are someone are people who I just disregard and don't pay any attention to because I don't have the energy or the time of the day to deal with them. For people who suffer from type B ignorance, I've been having a difficult time ascertaining whether I give them the time of day to enlighten them or I redirect them to Google because it's something that I've noticed more and more of where people for some reason or another, and even though we live in a time where information has never been more readily accessible, they just seem to continuously perpetuate problematic, ignorant, you know, ideas and ideologies towards other races and cultures. What do you guys think? Should we just take the time out to educate these individuals, or do we continue to, you know, ad- adhere to the notion that it's not for us to educate these those who suffer from type B ignorance? For me, because I always, whenever I scroll through Twitter and I see like racist stuff come up, in my head I already like starting of like a drafted up a twelve point Times New Roman MLA citations paper of like what they need to learn. Um, but I usually don't. I never like I never engage in trolls. But the thing is, what I always think of is I stop educating when I get tired. Mm-hmm. Like and but usually the thing is I get tired real quickly. And that's where I kind of draw the line because it does become draining because at, at one point I remember, like, my friend asked me, oh, yeah, like, isn't, like, white face a thing? And I'm like, no, it's not, boy, it's not. And I remember getting the most draining conversation about it for a good 40 minutes. I remember, like, at the end of it he was like, okay, let's go get drinks. And then I was like, I'm not sure if I can. Like, I'm, like, exhausted by this. Um, yeah. I don't know, um, because on one hand, because it is draining to try to be like an ambassador all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like the the type of ignorance that you're outlining, it sounds like these people have no interest in being educated. And so I find that, you know, if I put all of my efforts into something, if I wrote an entire thesis paper to educate these people, it feels like something that, you know, someone wouldn't even read, someone wouldn't, wouldn't even want to listen. Mm. Um and so I guess the best that I can really do is sort of be true to myself as a writer and an artist and, you know, talk more about my own perspective so that if someone is out there listening, they can try to learn from that. 
absolutely. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, it is hard, and you know, uh, Kitty, that's something that I've honestly have come to terms with myself, and that these individuals do not want to be educated. Um, they just don't want to be educated. So, what's the point of me taking precious time and energy to educate them? And when Nona, you're absolutely right when you say that it is really draining to be this ambassador all the time, especially if you're at a work setting and like you're the only person of color and individuals continuously come to you to ask if, oh, can I say this or would it be weird if I do this or give me give me give me some outlines. What can I learn from this? Because at the end of the day, it isn't our responsibility to educate individuals. Uh Chances are, by 30 seconds of looking at their phone, they could figure out what that what they want to do is probably racist or misogynistic or homophobic or transphobic or xenophobic. And it's yeah, you're right, guys. It shouldn't be up to us to educate individuals. But it's also, but it's always a definitely a hard thing because even if we're not an ambassador, we are an authority. Like, mm-hmm. and of all the list voices that they should be listening to, totally. like, I partially would want them also because I'm a little bit egotistical. Like, I would also listen, like to listen them to my voice. I know what stuff I'm talking about versus, like, enlisting Google. They might not even know where to start. Mm -hmm. So I, like, feel almost sorry for the poor suckers because, like, I know that they mean well, usually. Um, But I also know that they have, like, definitely have a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. This has been It's a Struggle for the Peak Speaks podcast created by SFU student newspaper The Peak in collaboration with CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby. Thanks for listening. Until next time.